Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Episode 7 of On the River of History. I'm your host, Jones Hermel, historian-in-residence. When the Swedish naturalist Carl von Linné, perhaps more familiar under his Latinized name, Carolus Linnaeus, took up the self-motivated task of classifying all of the then-known organisms on the Earth, he placed humanity in an order he called primates, meaning first rank. This gave the implication of a grand position in the system of nature, or Systema Naturae, which was the Latin title of his work. It was Linnaeus who gave the world our species name, Homo sapiens, and the 10th edition of his book was recognized by the International Commission on Zoological Nomenclature in 1999 as the starting point of the official scientific naming system for animal life. Thus, our species name, and the group name Primates, is here to stay. Humanity was not alone in Linnaeus's mammalian order, for they shared space with 32 other animals, including monkeys and lemurs, as well as bats. To Linnaeus, primates were united by cutting four teeth, solitary tusks on each side of the jaw, two pectoral teats, four feet, of which two are hands, usually flattened oval nails, and a diet of fruits and sometimes animal food. When critics questioned him for the sheer audacity of grouping the species that begat Shakespeare and Louis XIV with the likes of lower animals such as baboons and capuchins, Linnaeus returned with a very basic retort. But I seek from you and from the whole world a generic difference between man and Sibian that follows from the principles of natural history. I absolutely know of none. If only someone might tell me a single one. And if I would have called man a simian, or vice versa, I would have brought together all the theologians against me. Perhaps I ought to have, by virtue of the law of the discipline. In the 260 years since the name Primates was coined, the work of countless biologists, paleontologists, and anthropologists has confirmed our relationship to these other, furrier creatures. While the outline and structure of the primate group has changed, for one, we don't include bats anymore, they're not close relatives at all, the basic idea behind it remains the same. Primates all share a suite of traits, including opposable thumbs for ease at collecting food or branches, forward-facing eyes that allow stereoscopic or 3D vision, a large brain case compared to the size of the body, flattened nails rather than sharp claws, among others. This group is also united by genetics, and DNA sequencing has allowed us to better understand how all the different members of the group are related to each other. And, of course, the fossil record has supplied us with an ever-growing catalog of great remains, from the earliest primates to the rise of humans. Even though we've just spent the last episode bringing the history of the world up to 2.58 million years ago, we need to backtrack, so I can tell you the story of the primates and of the first peoples. We return to the recovering world of the Paleocene Epoch, 63 million years ago, following the great mass extinction that wiped out 75% of all life on Earth. The planet is covered by tropical forests, by this point, primates are represented, like most of the other placental mammal groups, by small, scurrying animals that sought refuge in trees or along the ground. The closest relatives of these were the plesiodapiforms, who resembled squirrels or tree shrews, with long snouts, clawed digits, and continuously growing incisor teeth. We know that this group wasn't ancestral to the primates because most members of the group lack premolar or canine teeth, which are features that all primates share. Plesiodapiforms took the niches that modern primates as well as rodents share today, so when those groups had evolved by the end of the epoch, 57 million years ago, they couldn't compete with them and died out. True primates were established somewhere in southern Asia, the earliest fossils have been found there, alongside their Eurocontiglia relatives, the rodents, rabbits, tree shrews, and colugos. Soon after, they diverged into two lineages. 
One of these is the strepsorines, or the wet-nosed primates, because they retain a ronarium, the wet and leathery tip of the snout that you often find in dogs, cats, and many other mammals. This group is represented today by the lemurs of Madagascar, the lorises of southern Asia, and the galagos, or bush babies, of Africa. However, in the Paleocene and Eocene, their range extended much more than this. After having evolved in Asia, they spread out in opposite directions, with some members going to Europe, others crossing into North America, and some extending south into Africa. As the world was still warm, wet, and forested, these primates thrived as they feasted on insects and other small invertebrates. It was around 54 million years ago that the lemurs arrived in Madagascar from Africa, possibly by rafts of floating vegetation that ran off the East African coast following a storm. It sounds ridiculous, but considering recent footage of tsunamis and how they transport large quantities of debris, it is not improbable. Following the cooling of the planet after the Eocene and the shrinking of the tropical forests, most of the strepsorines died out across Africa and Asia, and all of them perished in North America and Europe, leaving only the ancestors of the living species today. The other great lineage of primates to emerge was the haplorines, or the dry-nosed primates, because they lost their renarium and their snout in place of a smooth and naked nose above a separate upper lip sported on a flattened face. They also developed a change in their skull morphology, where the eye socket became covered by a thin layer of bone along the backside. This is in contrast with lemurs and their relatives, who only have a thin bone called the postorbital bar that borders the eye at its side. Other mammals lack this altogether. Like the strepsorines, haplorines originated in Asia and spread out from there, this time colonizing Europe and Africa only. The earliest members of the group resembled tarsiers, which are small, large-eyed, nocturnal, insectivorous primates that reside in the rainforests of Southeast Asia though in the past they were very common, ranging as far as China. Incidentally, the Tarsier lineage makes up one of two descent groups from the common ancestor of the Haplorines, the other being the Anthropoids, or monkeys. Monkeys developed many distinct traits from the other Haplorines, and their group split from the Tarsier line roughly 40 million years ago in Asia. Or as their common ancestor, as well as the common ancestor of all primates, sported sensory whiskers along the front of the snout, monkeys lost that trait as they developed their eyesight to sport full-color vision. This proved to be a beneficial adaptation, as monkeys began to rely on colorful fruits as a major food source instead of insects, though they also seemed to have eaten seeds and nuts as well. There were also key changes to the reproductive system. Monkeys reduced their number of nipples down to one pair, and their penis was no longer mainly attached to the body and instead hung down. Over time, monkeys grew larger in size and expanded into Africa, where one lineage eventually colonized South America by 25 million years ago perhaps by the same process that could have delivered the caviar a floating raft of vegetation. These were the platyrines, who have earned their common name New World Monkeys, and include capuchins, marmosets, howlers, and squirrel monkeys. These monkeys are distinguished by a flattened nose with nostrils that stick out sideways, whereas other monkeys have a more curved nose with downward-facing nostrils. Most iconic is the prehensile tail that many platyrines use like a fifth limb for grasping onto tree branches. No other primates have this trait. Back in the Old World, the other lineage of monkeys, the Catarines, were facing environmental pressures in Eurasia as the climate began to cool, and it was around the start of the Oligocene that they mostly died out there. In Africa, however, they were thriving, and they diversified into a few groups. These monkeys mostly ate leaves and fruits, and they were very adept climbers in the trees. Eventually, the climate started warming again during the Miocene, around 20 to 17 million years ago, and many Catarines returned to Eurasia as far as Southeast Asia. Earlier in Africa, Roughly 28 million years ago, one lineage of monkeys started growing in size as they brought in their chests and increased their brain case. The 
Their tail vertebrae reduced to number until no visible tail was present at all. The joints of their shoulders, too, were more relaxed and mobile than their ancestors, meaning that they could move their arms much more freely around their body. This gave them the ability to brachiate, or hang from tree branches by their arms and swing across the trees. These were the first hominoids, the apes. When we think about human evolution, we often think about the concept of human nature and what traits and behaviors stem from our common ancestry with the other primates. Perhaps, put more philosophically, what does it mean to be human? This subject has spawned some of the biggest discussions and debates in the history of our species, and this very curiosity seems to have deep roots, with many world societies across time devoting time to this. If we want to talk about the fundamental characteristics of the human species and what unites and distinguishes us from our relatives, we have to look at this topic holistically. It is not enough to simply tackle the subject from a purely genetic or cultural or environmental standpoint. All of these fields, and more, have to be taken into consideration. This is because there is not one shared aspect of all societies or any one gene that makes us human. All of these factors are working together, intimately, to shape our species. Anthropologist Elizabeth Brumfield made a valuable point about this, and I quote, Human biology, human psychology, and human behavior are all context-dependent. This enormous biological and behavioral flexibility, the ability to adopt different physiological, perceptual, and behavioral repertoires, has enabled humans to survive across the extremes of climate and habitat, from the frozen tundra to the burning desert. End quote. Our environment has shaped our being, and our being has shaped the environment. There is a lot of argument between anthropologists and other researchers about this, so it is important to keep that in mind as we move forward. The more we learn, the more our understanding shifts or changes altogether. I might even return to this podcast many years from now and say, wow, we had this all wrong. To continue this episode, please go to part two.